All right, everybody. Um, Dr. Andy Woods here. This is Pastor's Point of View, number 231. I'm here with a very special uh, friend and guest, um, the Honorable Rick Miller. And this uh, particular video is going to be released on the eve of a very important midterm election that's right around the corner. Uh, one of the things that you know, a mutual passion we share is why God's people, you know, are not more involved in the political process. Because a lot of the insanity that we see happening in our culture, we think we can actually put the brakes on some of it if we go out and vote intelligently and biblically right. on November the 8th. Uh, early voting in Texas, do you have the dates on those? Early voting starts Monday, this coming Monday. Okay, that yeah. would be the 24th? Yes. And it goes through the 4th. Yes. And then the election is November 8th. Correct. Tuesday the 8th. So let me, uh, this is a man next to me that has a tremendous background and resume. Um, and this is why we wanted to use him as a reservoir to draw from, you know, during this critical time in our nation's history. So let me just read his bio real quick. Uh, Rick Miller attended the United States Naval Academy. I don't know if you know this, but my grandfather went there. There's actually, uh, the, on the rowing team, there, uh -huh. uh, on one of the boats there is named after him at the uh, is that right? Naval Academy. And that. then I had um, an uncle that went there as well. Oh my gosh. And the other what uncle went to the Air Force Academy. So we have a lot in common here. He also attended the Dwight D. Eisenhower School for National Security and Resource Strategy, where he earned his Bachelor of Science degree. Rick Miller was a member of a baseball team in Mexico. Wow. For which he later worked as a United States Naval Aviator, in which Miller served in top arrangements. He served as a fellow for the Strategic studies group, the chief uh, of naval operations, if I have that right. That's right. Uh, Rick Miller had earned medals such as the Meritorious Service Medal, Legion of Merit, and Defense Superior Service Medal. Mm -hmm. He also earned the Naval Commendation Medal. After being discharged, Miller had established, and you're going to have to help me with this corporation, the Trevanian Tra Tra Group. How do you Tra say that? Trevanian Trevanian Group business for which he was the chairperson of the TEC International and was a member of the chairperson of other establishments. In 2013, Miller won election for the 26th District of the Ta Texas House of Representatives. He succeeded politician Charles Howard Miller and his wife live in Sugarland. He currently is involved in three not-for-profits supporting foster children, veterans, and then the preservation of historic sites. Yes. So you always have been and continue to be a pretty busy guy. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, th I, I think I should be busy. The older I get, the busier I want to be. So. Well, it's interesting because in a, <laughs> an email, which kind of led to this program, um. You know, you were talking about, just to me privately, about the upcoming election and how we need to get Christians engaged. And you were talking about how you, when you were in the Texas House, saw that as sort of a divine 
calling and you tried to reflect Christian values when you were in that role. So am I representing that right? And how, well, did, you, how did you come to that way of thinking? Well, you're absolutely right. Um, and I have to go back and give credit to uh, my first wife, Babs. Um, she and I, when we moved to Texas at around 2000, uh, it was 2000, we started to uh, get settled in, and then we met the right people who would, were encouraging us to get involved in the political scene here in Fort Bend County. And so um, after that, I, uh, I went to a, uh, an evening with a pastor, Rick Scarborough. I don't know mm, whether you've heard I, of him. I do know him, yeah, or know of him. Know of him. And so I'm sitting listening to him talk about what, why he was doing what he was doing, uh, especially in the education of our children, because um, he stepped out of the, his pastorship to take on this mission of educating people about what's happening in our school systems. And, and so I'm sitting there listening and talking, and I say, you know what, Babs, he's talking directly to me, mm. that I need to step up and I need to get involved. And so I did and ran for uh, my first political office of a precinct chair, which is the basement of all offices. And then shortly thereafter became the chairman of the party here in Fort Bend County mm -hmm. and then the state house. So that's what happened to me. Yeah, so it's just one baby step after one another. Baby step the Lord two. opening different <laughs> different venues. Right. Um, now, we were talking a little bit off air how one of your mentors mm -hmm. is a gentleman by the name of Norm Mason. And uh, you have given gave me this book a few years ago. I did. But this is a critical book to your understanding the title of it is The Political Imper Imperative, The Assignment from God, The Biblical Role of Christians in Public Policy, Civil Government, and the Political Process. Tell me about Norm Mason and the contents of this book. Well, Norm, uh, Norm is a, a fantastic uh, individual, um, a strong Christian man, uh, always has been, and he and his wife were were really uh, involved in all of the political activities uh, at the time, the right political activities uh, from a Christian perspective. And so Norm wrote this book, I believe in 2011, right when I was standing up to run a campaign for the Texas House. And so Norm was a mentor. And then if you read this book, it's a short little book, but it, it tells us that the, the imperative is for us as Christians to get involved in the political process in one way or another, mm -hmm. either as participating in the process or or encouraging others to do that. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a it's a short read, but it's uh, and it's it's all biblically based. Mm -hmm. uh, and God created these three entities: the government, the family, and the church. And so um, that's that's it meant a lot to me at the time. It it encouraged me to stick with it and to and to work hard and and. I just put my faith in, in the Lord. I said, Lord, if you want me to do this, then I will get elected. Mm -hmm. and, and I got elected. So, And people can get this, I would assume, wherever books are sold, uh, um, Internet. Um, they might be able to. Again, it goes back. It's over 10 years old, 11 years old. So I'm hoping that it's still available to get that. I can, I can talk to Norm and, and see if he still has these books. But... Uh, he gave me a bunch of them. Okay. So. so if you need a copy, you can contact us even here at right. Sugarland Bible right. Church. We'll try to, yeah, we, we can, can connect that. it and get this but done. But I would strongly encourage people, Christians, yeah, to read this. Because the contents of this book really represent what we want to talk about here. 
Um, we're on the eve of a pivotal midterm election. Most Christians are sort of, we'll talk about this as we progress, they have a tendency to look at politics as the secular world, and let's just focus on the gospel, the church, evangelism, all important subjects. Right. But people have a tendency to bifurcate these in their minds spiritually. And this is the type of thing that this book critiques, right? It does. Okay. It absolutely does. So we're going to get into that. So, you know, what I have, um, just for purposes of easy memorization, are four S's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as we, cre- you know, talk about the Christian involvement in public policy. So let's start with stewardship. Uh, Here's our list of of four. But we have the concept of stewardship in the Bible. Uh, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, where Paul the Apostle says, In the case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. I'm also thinking of Matthew chapter 25, verses uh, 14 through 30, which is really the, uh, the parable of the various stewards. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that parable well. I'll just read the opening line yeah. here. It says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted them with various possessions. To one, he gave five talents, which is a numerical denomination at the time this was written. To another, two. To another, one, each according to his ability. And he went on a long journey. And so the point of it is the Lord returns after a season. And he wants to know, what did you do with what I gave you? That's right. And so we have in the Bible a concept of stewardship. A steward is not an owner, but a manager. That's right. And we manage things for God. And the day in history will come where he's going to say, hey, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And I think the three things that we're given to be stewards of are A, our time. Mm-hmm. B, our talent or our abilities, and C, our treasure, Mm -hmm. the three T's as I call them. But here's an an element of stewardship I never hear spoken of in Christianity. How about your own government? That's true. (laughs) Absolutely right. And and of course, you know, we're not necessarily seeing that stewardship today in in our government. Uh, I go back to my initial involvement um, in uh, in the Texas House. One of the things we talked about earlier was the the Texas legislature was set up with a House and a Senate mirroring what was going on in Washington. Now, I haven't researched this, but uh, for information, there are 150 members in the Texas House, and there are also 150 Psalms. In the Book of Psalms. In the Book of Psalms. And there are 31 members in the Texas Senate. Well, guess how many... Proverbs there are. 31. 31. So I, when, I was in, when I was going out and I spent a lot of time out in the public talking about that, I would always bring up, to you, hey, do you know what the number 150 means? And I would always relate that to, well, all by the way, this is the way the legislature was set up. 150 members after the Psalms and 31 after the, after the Senate. So, but I, you're right about the stewardship and God has given us so much uh, in this country that we 
need to be taken care of, mm -hmm. uh, it's our responsibility to do that. And so I, I looked at that from my, my role in the legislature. Matter of fact, I set up a, a little matrix of decision making uh, whenever I would consider a bill. And one of the items on there, if not the first one, was, is this a biblical worldview mm. thing, uh, bill that, that I can vote for? And then there were other things about, you know, did, anyway, did it meet my other criteria? And so I think it's, it's so important for us to, to be good stewards of what God has given us. And he expects us to do that, mm -hmm. I think. Would you well, agree? Well, you know, the thing is, we have a privilege that most people in human history could only dream of. Where we have the ability as Christians, I mean, they don't have this in Saudi Arabia, I guarantee you, yeah, the ability to influence the direction of our government through voting, through going deeper than that, as you've done with your career, becoming involved in the public policy process. And of the T's, time, talent, and treasure, I have to add stewardship over the American government onto that list. Absolutely. It's a tremendous entrustment God has given us. Now, you represented District 26. Mm -hmm. Do you have a biblical... Uh, there was, a, I remember you gave a biblical number for that. I, I'm not, maybe I'm misquoting you. Uh, you had the legislature divided, as you just said, and then you had something special for District 26. Maybe it was Psalm 26. It was, or, it, it was Psalm 26. And why did you, what's well, significant? Well, because it, it gives guidance for me to who I should be associ associating with and relying on and mm -hmm. working with in the legislature to be, to, you know, to be selective in uh in who i'm working with mm -hmm. and so i mean that that was clear guidance to me and so it's interesting and, and every desk on the on the house floor uh there's a bible mm -hmm. okay and and uh, and every session the member who sits in that desk of course i sat in the same desk for six years but you write a scripture that means something to you mm -hmm. and i always wrote psalm 26 yeah Right. So that's just like a, because most people, when you talk about the intricacies of government, their eyes kind of glaze over. But that's just a neat little uh, nomenclature that you developed concerning right. how to, as J. Vernon McGee used to say, put the cookies on the bottom shelf. That's right. Because you can't influence something you don't understand. That's right. And I remember when you asked me to come and pray in Austin yes. before the beginning of the session. Yes. You recall that, and yes. <laughs> he said something very interesting to me. You said, you know, you can turn this prayer into a sermon if you want to, <laughs> <laughs> because they're all going to be quiet and listening to you. So I prayed for three minutes, and I honestly was authentically praying, but I worked into it uh, some Benjamin Franklin quotes and yes. some things that we would want emphasized as Christians. So, you know, you remind me of, uh, you know, Jesus says, what does he say, be... Uh, you know, be as wise as gentle as sheep, but be as wise as wolves. Something, something to that effect. And um, you well, know, that was very important that you did that because uh, that in the Texas House, that's the only time there's no noise. That's the only time no one's talking. Yeah. Except for the the pastor um, giving the opening prayer, and yeah. so. That was a great opportunity, and I'm glad you seized it. Yeah. So. Now, the, the first opportunity you gave me is you said, look, we are in the middle now of a special session. Mm -hmm. 
we have a chance to pass some regulations on abortion clinics right. um, that we've never had before. Can you come down and testify before the committee? They give you three minutes to speak. We waited in your office uh, probably till after midnight. Yes, you did. And we fin- I finally had a chance to speak. Of course, the left was there screaming and yelling the whole time. That's right. Uh, I had a chance to speak from my worldview. Would you say pastors becoming involved in something that simple makes a difference? Makes it makes a real difference. Um, and I'm glad you took that opportunity and because I asked you to do that. Um, that was the uh, that was in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a a session that went, which is normally about 140 days, went three extra overtime sessions. It was like a deployment in the Navy, right, to Austin, which none of us want to do. But that was the that was the initial one of the biggest bills at the time regarding abortion in the 20-week fetal pain bill, and it took us two overtime sessions to get that passed. Um, and I and I really appreciate uh, appreciate you you being there to do that. You know, and at the time, that was such a huge issue going on in the state, and yet there are pastors of churches around here who had no idea that yeah. that was even happening. Right. And so, and what a what a crucial time it was. Uh, and so, I'm glad you did that. Now, with the decision of the Supreme Court. Yeah, Dobbs overruling Roe. Mm-hmm. That's right. The uh, now there there. There are no abortions, uh, uh, legal abortions that can be had in the state of Texas. That's amazing. It's fantastic. And so Texas became one of those, uh, what do they call them, trigger trigger laws? Right. Where right when Roe versus overturned, boom, right. uh, abortion became illegal in Texas. Right. So folks, if you don't think uh, politics matters, think how many oh. unborn children have been saved. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, and the abortion clinics being put out of business. Uh, that started in 2013 because that was part of it, um, and and so from 2013 to 22, it's uh, now now we we finally arrived. Wow! And I remember talking um, with the Texas Right to Life people. I said, "Well, look, isn't it time to do a heartbeat bill? You know, a heartbeat because the heartbeat is detectable uh, about I don't know how many days, 18 days or whatever." And they said, well, we don't have the research to support that yet, but some states have passed that. Mm-hmm. And now with the Supreme Court decision in Texas, there's no abortion. So, yeah, fantastic. So this is all under the category of biblical stewardship. Uh, let me put up this quote here from Ben Franklin. Um, it says, at the close of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, when queried, as he left Independence Hall on the final day of deliberation. In the notes of Dr. James McHenry, one of Maryland's delegates to the Constitutional Convention, a lady asked Benjamin Franklin, well, doctor, what have we got, a republic or a monarchy? And here's Franklin's response. A republic, if you can keep it, close quote. In other words, we've given you a miracle. That's right. Um, another book you gave me talks about a, the Constitution as a, what is it, 5,000? As a 5,000-year leap. 5,000-year leap, something in human history that has never happened. Right. It's yours. It's in your lap. 
I love I love what Benjamin Franklin said. Now, whether it gets preserved for the next generation is your responsibility. It's up to us. <laughs> it's up to us. And uh, if we care about this and we uh, we uh, identify with the issues that are going on in the public square or from Washington or wherever, even here in Texas, uh, we have some issues in the legislature that are very tough sometimes. Um, and it's it's taking that stand. I remember when I was uh, the party chairman here, one of the little slogans I put in place was show up, stand up, and speak up. Mm. And, and it was on all, everything we put out, um, and, um, and, it, and that was taking residents across the county with, with, our, with our people in our party system. I don't know whether I can mention that or not. Can no, I, you can mention Republican it. Republican Party. And, and so, uh, but at that time, uh, Fort Bend County was different demographically than it is today. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have to worry about losing elections. Now we have to worry about, because we haven't won elections in the last two cycles. Yeah. So, but, but showing up, standing up, and speaking up is what, what we're talking about mm -hmm, today mm -hmm. for, for all Christians yeah. to do that. And, you know, as a nonprofit, we don't endorse, right. and that's not what we're doing here. Um, yep. we're giving you a chance. You're not even running for anything. So I may run again. <laughs> you might run again in the future. <laughs> uh, but we're giving you a chance to come in from your own life experience and talk about the importance of Christians' involvement, you know, in the public square. And, I, and I, if I can just add, Please. I, I think the, a big factor in this, Andy, is, is the church. And uh, I remember I sent you a text a couple of weeks ago about a, I heard Dr. Young yes. at Second Baptist uh -huh. talk about this wokeness going on. And, and, and uh, but I said, well, that just really resonated with me. If pastors like you mm -hmm. are willing to speak and, and say how important this is and how important it is for Christians to get involved, then uh, that's going to make a difference. Yeah. It's going to make a huge difference. Now, how important is it? Let's put up this quote by Charles Finney, who basically led the second great awakening in the United States of America. And he, in his lectures on uh, revival, lecture number 15, this is what he says. And I'm not endorsing all the, the every single theological thing of Sure. These people I'm quoting, I'm sure. just saying this quote this, is, right on. is right on. He says, the church must take right ground to politics. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics. Christians have, this is what you're talking about. Right. Is this guy related to you? Yeah, Christians is. have been exceedingly guilty in this matter. But the time has come when they must act differently. God cannot sustain this free and bless country which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation are becoming rotten. Now, he said that in his day. Right. That's how we feel in our day. Yes. And Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you, he does see it. And he will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. Amen. <laughs> Holy cow. Let me tell you a little story about this. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I first got involved in running my first time, um, I was a member of another church. And, um, and, and I had asked, can I, get, can I get in and 
talk to the deacons of the church, right? Well, the answer was no. I said, what do you mean no, right? I'm a member of this church. I've been very active and doing, how come I can't, well, because of what, because we have people from both political, we'll invite my opponent in to talk as well. And so I was not allowed to do that. And so that really sent me a message about that particular church. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but that's okay. So anyway, it was, uh, it was, a uh, it was an interesting time. And, uh, but that, that didn't bother me other than, than for that church to do that. So. Yeah. It kind of opens your eyes to the wokeness as doc, yes. Dr. Ed Young is critiquing right. in a sermon series going on in most churches where, you know, people are not starting from the Bible and thinking public policy. Something's right. going on in the evangelical mind. Let's uh, switch topics to our second S here. And that has to do with salt and light. Oh, yes. In fact, we have an organization locally that you're involved in sometimes called Salt and Light, trying to get Christians uh, involved in politics. I'm not sure if that organization still exists, but I've heard that organization's name around. Hmm. I, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not okay. sure what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, I think the title of it was Salt and Light. Salt and, Light. and I, I love the title, but it comes out of uh, Matthew 5. Sure. 13 through 16, where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Speaking to us, mm -hmm. his people. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. Now, how do you do that when you shrink your influence? to the four walls of the church. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father is in heaven. How, salt is a preservative in society. How can the salt function when it stays in the salt shaker? Where would we be without light if right. we were just sort of groping around in darkness? Right. Um, Jesus says we're the light. Right. How do you be the light unless you're willing to let your light shine in the midst of darkness right. like Austin, for example. Well, you, you, that's right. And you can't, you can't be afraid to let your light shine and to let people know what you stand for, what you believe in. Um, you know, even today when I teach leadership uh, and, and personal development to veterans primarily, but I'm working with one company to do that. But but the Christian perspective comes out in that process um, because the real leadership manual is the Bible, mm -hmm. right? And so, and I always carry a couple of Bibles that focus on the leadership aspects of the of the Bible when I when I do that class. So, you know, I, God expects us to be that light and to be that salt uh, to make it taste better or to make it come across better, mm -hmm. right? Or make it uh, important. And so that's that's. That's what I took mm -hmm. on. Uh, I had, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, I just had that support from a lot of people uh, in my initial campaign mm -hmm. uh, because they they believed like I did. Mm -hmm. Strong Christian people. Mm -hmm. hey, let's get let's help this guy get elected. Mm -hmm. and so I, I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. Well, this salt and light. There's a guy named John Winthrop mm -hmm. who is really pivotal in the foundation of the United States. He's one of our early Puritan leaders. And he took this verse and stuck it right into the realm of government. And that's why we have America. He said in his model for 
Christian charity. And people will notice that these quotes I'm giving are not manufactured. You can find these online at the Winthrop Papers. He said, quote, For we must consider that we shall be, future America, a city set upon a hill. That's exactly what Jesus said. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work, we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us. We shall be a byword throughout the world. And then he said something else. This is absolutely fascinating. He said, quote, it will be a service to the church of great consequence to carry the gospel into these, those parts. That's right. The, right. the new land right. to help on the coming of the fullness of the Gentiles and to raise a bulwark against the kingdom of the Antichrist, which in his day, the Jesu Jesuits labor to rear up in these parts, close quote. When I first read that quotation, I finally understood why God allowed this miracle called America to come into existence. It's, mm -hmm. it's designed by the Holy Spirit to be a bulwark or a defense against the one world system of the Antichrist. And, the, you know, the globalists, whether it's Klaus Schwab or whoever, as they're plotting, you know, world government, their number one concern is what are we going to do about America? Right. How can we subjugate America? And, and this quote from Winthrop explains that. And this does. was given back in the 1500s. It absolutely <laughs> does. And if you go back to our founders and what was important to them, I think I, think I saw a slide here that said, you know, 34% of what, the, what our founding fathers put together absolutely came from the Bible. So that's, that's where our country started. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it'd be nice to go back to that time. Well, <laughs> you know, we're talking about should Christians be involved in public policy? If Christians at the foundation of America weren't involved in public policy, we wouldn't have the United States. Let's put up that slide he was just talking about, the, the uh, founder's sources. This comes from the work of Charles Heinemann, Mm -hmm. And Don Lutz, who at the time were professors at the University of Houston, professors of political science. And all they were doing was, right. they really didn't have anything to prove as far as I know. They were just honest scholars and they were basically going through uh, everything that our founding fathers referenced. Mm -hmm. So they looked at monographs, speeches, and they discovered that 34% of their citations came from the Bible four times more than the other sources. The next source was Montesquieu, where we get separation of powers 8% right. of the time. Uh, the source after that was Blackstone, where we get the whole idea of unalienable rights. And 3% of the time was John Locke, where we get the idea of, uh, of limited government. And if I had time, I would show you that Montesquieu was steeped in the Bible. Sure as was Blackstone. In fact, Finney, who we quoted from earlier, right. received his calling into the ministry from the Holy Spirit by studying Blackstone's commentaries on the law. Think about that. A guy studying to be a lawyer right. saw so much scripture that he got, <laughs> he got saved and went into the ministry. And then after that, <laughs> after that is Locke, he was steeped in the Bible. Yeah. So, 
I was here with uh, Johnny Teague just the other day, and he says, you know, our our founders, our founding documents really are not Montesquieu, Blackstone, and Locke. It's the Bible, because our founders were quoting the Bible, and when they weren't quoting the Bible, they were quoting men who were influenced by the Bible. Well, it's absolutely true, and if you just look at one of them, George Washington, and yes. um, and what he read his writings, read what he had to say. Um, you know, the Bible influenced him tremendously, and you know we thank God that it did, mm -hmm. you know, because that's that's why we have what we have today, the miracle of America. And so, but the issue is, can we keep it? As yeah. we read about, uh, you know, from Franklin, and it's up to us to do that. Um, I think that's it's up to us Christians to stand yeah. up and 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 take uh, and do what we can. Now you were talking about your experience with other churches and things. Uh, we want to stay neutral. Sure. We don't want to get into this or that. Um, the truth of the matter is, not to speak is a form of speech. Mm -hmm. Now let's put up this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was one of the greats that opposed Adolf Hitler, etc. And he says something that is very convicting. He says, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Close quote. So if I pull this idea that, you know, I'm just going to remain neutral, I'm not going to open my mouth because... If I let you speak, I'm going to offend somebody else. That's a form of speech. Silence is speech. Oh, it absolutely is. <laughs> and, and it goes to, you know, all the, a lot of the things that I was involved in the legislature. Was I willing to speak up and, and say, hey, wait a second, this doesn't, this isn't right. Uh, you know, what can we do about that? But if I let it go, um, then I'm missing the opportunity to say, you know, what I believe the truth is. And, and and what we should be doing, and so that's the call to Christianity. Now, mm -hmm. interestingly, I, I was listening to a guy this morning. I was just doing a little research, a little bit. Uh, the, a new person at Second Baptist, but he was saying this. This is a quote that's attributed to him, but he can't make the connection. He wrote okay. a book on this guy. Okay, but it's okay. Uh, I'm Still sure. a good, great quote. It's, it's a great quote. And yeah, you know, you're probably talking about Eric Metaxas. I think wrote a book on Bonhoeffer. I, I think that's who. So he would be a better source to go to. Yeah, but but that's right on. Yeah, for us Christians in the marketplace today, to speak and to act, uh, and if we don't, then then things are, are not going to be the way God wants them to be. Yeah, here's another quote floating out there. This is attributed to Lincoln. So you folks out there can research it to see if he <laughs> said it. But the way it's been presented to me is Lincoln was thinking about slavery one time, and he gave a comment. He said, you know, if I ever get a chance to hit that, I'm going to hit it hard. And he said it as a young person, mm -hmm before he went into office. said, Lord, if you put me in a position where I can take a swat at that wicked, evil institution, I'm going to hit it as hard as I can. Yeah. And we need that mindset, don't we? We do. Uh, just to give you another example, we talked about this a little bit earlier about the Article 5 in the Constitution. Um, it was my first session, or second session, <clears throat> and the, a group of patriots were hitting the Article 5 uh, issue uh, which deals with amendments to the Constitution. And Article 5 is very clear 
and it says the Congress can propose amendments to the Constitution to be ratified by the states, or uh, two-thirds of the legislatures can come forward and request a Constitution or a convention of the states to only deal with amendments to the Constitution, not to rewrite the Constitution, okay. but to, it's, Article 5 is very clear. It's exactly what it says. Mm -hmm. So a group came to me um, and said, hey, we like who you are. We like what you represent. You're a strong Christian. Would you carry this in the Texas House? And so, so we did, and it was an interesting process in, in putting that forward. But it deals with certain issues. It, it deals with rolling back the, the regulations that the, um, the, the, the administration puts in place that handcuffs businesses or, or just doing business and rolling back those regulations, which happened in the last presidency, I believe, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then taking a look at, at the fiscal uh, balancing the budget requires for a balanced budget in in uh, in Washington, Texas. We have to have a balanced budget. It's in our constitution. And then the third thing was looking at term limits, mm -hmm. big issue mm -hmm. that uh, gets floated around a little bit. <clears throat> and so, anyway, we got during that the first time I carried it, it went right down to the wire mm. uh, near the end of the session. session I finally got it passed on the Texas House floor, went right across to the Senate, and there were three senators waiting for me over there to say, I'll carry it, I'll carry it, I'll carry it. Um, and so they picked it up, but it didn't get passed the Senate that time. Mm -hmm. So the next session, we brought it back, and uh, we did get it passed. Uh, so Texas is one of the, I don't know how many states now, 18 or 20 states that has passed that same resolution calling for uh, Article Five Convention of the States. Now, the Convention of the States, how many states have to sign on to that? Two-thirds. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of states have to pass roughly, if not exactly, the same resolution sent to Congress uh, that says we, uh, we request to have a Convention of the States, basically. Which would allow the states to come together and roll back tyrannical Fedzilla, as I call That's it, right. federal, federal government. And those three areas in particular... But they could do other, they could propose other amendments to mm. the, it's interesting, uh, we had a mock convention of the states in Williamsburg, Virginia, I was invited to by this group, a convention of states people, and uh, all the states were represented, and the one, the one uh, uh, bill that, or, that I was carrying, uh, and there were three of us from Texas, was to do away with the um, uh, tax issues in, in Texas. Oh, I mean, not Texas, but uh, to uh, the federal tax. Get rid of the federal tax. Income tax. Uh -huh. Right, income tax. Mm -hmm. and, and move us to like more of a spending consumer. Like, just like we do in Texas, okay. right? We mm -hmm. have no income tax. So just like Texas. And so that bill uh, in committee uh, was a, a hot debate, but we ended up passing it out of committee to the floor for the convention of the states to deal with, and it passed. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so some things like that can be done, but if we don't, if we don't do it, if we don't step up yeah. and take take that opportunity, uh, then it, it's not going to happen. And I know the convention of states is uh, is controversial to mm -hmm. some degree, mm -hmm. but all you have to do is read read the Constitution. Mm -hmm. 
and it's very clear that the sole purpose of the convention mm -hmm. of the states yeah let's put this is, up people can see that is, copy uh, the constitution it's just to propose amendments to the constitution mm -hmm. that's what article 5 says very specifically so it's almost as if the founders were so prescient in other words we're going to do everything we can to keep you out of tyranny because right. they knew that the default mode of most governments in human history are tyrannical that's right so we're going to you know, if this does, if this doesn't keep you free, we're going to put this in. And if that doesn't keep you free, we're going to put this in. That's right. And one of the last resorts that we have is this Article 5 Convention on the States, That's which right. we might have to use at some point, you know, should we come under the auspices of a tyrannical government. And it falls under we the people, right? The first slide you showed, we the people, the states can step up and, and do this. And yeah. it, it's an interesting process in trying to get the 30-some the states to pass. Yeah, on. important issue. Let's uh, move to our third S here. This is the scattered <laughs> evangelical mind. And, you know, when, you know, Norm Mason, the political uh, uh, imperative from God, um, you stepping up as... Uh, your assignment from God to uh, get involved in public policy. You know, most Christians, they just don't think that way. In fact, here, notice this wheel here. Mm -hmm. These are all the different topics, whether it's sociology, economics, uh, politics, science, history, philosophy, law, ethics, anthropology, psychology, coming back around, soci sociology, economics. I mean, most Christians look at that and say, well, that's the domain of the secular world. That's right. Um, I mean, the Bible is spiritual. So we've made this distinction between the spiritual, you know, the, uh, the sacred and the sup supposedly the profane. And we think the Bible is just a spiritual book. It's about how to get to heaven. Now, it tells you that, and that's its most important message. Yeah, most important. Uh, and we don't understand that this Bible, when it was breathed into existence by God himself, it comments on every area of life. Mm -hmm. And when it comments on those other areas, it's just as inspired there it is. as it is when it talks about John three sixteen. Notice this pyramid. Um You'll notice that at the foundation we have the Bible and then built on a biblical understanding is the whole concept of politics that's in the Bible. Uh, literature, industry, finances. Mm -hmm. Did you know that the Bible says more about money? than it does any other single subject? I think I've heard that from you. <laughs> <Probably> heard that. <laughs> uh, it talks about music. It talks about science. Get the book by Henry Morris, Men of Science, Men of God, where he just historically documents that all of the leaders of every major area of science, like Isaac Newton, got their incentive to study the laws of science from their knowledge of God because they thought, well, if the creator put everything together, there must be laws in the physical world that I need to figure out. Uh, that's where Isaac Newton, you know, um, articulates the law of gravity. Most people don't know this, but Isaac Newton wrote commentaries on Daniel and Revelation. I didn't know that. And the uh, secular left says, gosh, I wish he would have 
spent more time with science and not the Bible. Well, silly comment because it was his knowledge of the Bible that gave him an incentive to study science. Uh, Art comes out of that. Uh, Let's put this chart up here, beginning themes from the book of Genesis where we learn that God is the author of the universe, life, man, marriage, conscience, clothing, Mm -hmm. salvation, the first language, multiple languages, nations, Israel. The one I've got underlined there is government. God, right. God created government. He did. Uh, it's part of the Noahic covenant. Genesis. Norm Mason told us. <laughs> it's in the Norm Mason God book. Told us. God told us and Norm Mason yes. uh, reported yes. it accurately. And so if God is the author of the state, shouldn't we as Christians have a natural interest in how the state is run? We should. There's no question about that. And that's, that, that's what grabbed me. Uh, I spent 30 years in the Navy. And as a, as a, as a uh, officer in the Navy, I couldn't get too political, if political at all. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, I, I hesitate sometimes to ask my son, who's the commanding officer of an aircraft carrier now, what do you think about what's going on in the Navy today mm-hmm. and uh, in the military? And he, he said, are we on the record? <laughs> I said, well, not with me. Uh, so, but he has to be careful what he says. Mm-hmm. And so the, the wokeness that's happening in, in our government and in our Department of Defense is, is really unnerving. It goes into um, recruiting. Uh, I don't know whether we talk about that, but... Talk about it. Yeah, but, let's bring it but, up. Uh, you know, our military, military uh, services aren't meeting their, their recruiting goals. But why is that? Well, because of what's happening in the current administration and current Department of Defense leadership, uh, these young men and women aren't signing up to serve because what happened in Afghanistan and our withdrawal there, um, what's happening in our, in our, in our, in our, in our services today re- regarding the COVID-19 shot, the, you know, the COVID shot and how many people were, were put out from that. And then we learn more things about the shot. Um, so all of this is affecting that recruiting. And, you know, we, I believe in the peace through strength mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for our military to have the strongest military so that we preserve the peace. And, uh, and that's not, and that we're having, a, the, the, the services are, have, are struggling to meet those, those recruiting goals. So, uh, well, not to get too radical on, on us here, <laughs> but, Here's a thought that crosses my mind is the time in history comes where a wayward administration could actually take the military and turn it on the American people. And I have a tendency to think that a lot of these things you're talking about that are causing good people to not want to enter or to leave is leaving us with sort of these valueless, characterless type people that would cooperate with with tyranny. Now, I asked, I talked to Bill Federer, I think you probably know him, wonderful historian about this, you know, and he says, look, they've used everything against us. They've used Hollywood against us. They've used the media against us. They've used the educational system against us. Are we, are we so naive to think that you know, they won't use the military against us. Mm-hmm. I, I pray that that will never happen, but that could happen. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it could. Um, I, I think and hope and pray that we have enough 
strength and character in our senior military leaders uh, for that not to happen, for them to rise up and say no. Mm -hmm. um, I hope so. Uh, and so, but in that selection of people to move into that senior level of our of our military, mm -hmm. there, you know, there's somewhat politicalness in that decision on who to select and who not to select. And that's part of the problem today. Um, and I think my son would agree with that, mm -hmm. uh, as I see it. Um, it wasn't so much when I was serving, although, uh, a little quick story, when I was in the Pentagon my second time, I was there three times, um, uh, Bill Clinton was president, and I could see, visibly see, the military uniform people, senior leaders, get farther and farther away from the appointed um, people in the Pentagon mm -hmm. just because of the differences in what uh, what they were trying to do mm -hmm. uh, with our military. And so uh, if that happens, and, and who's in charge of our military? It's not the, it's not the uniform members. It's mm -hmm. the civilian leadership. Mm. That's why we have a Secretary of Defense and a Secretary of the Services. And and so uh, they're really the ones in charge. The president's mm -hmm. in charge. He's the commander in chief. And so if that were to ever happen, Andy, um, uh, then we've lost it. I mm -hmm. think uh, we really have lost it for sure. So mm -hmm. I hope that, the, I mean, I, I hope we have enough good, strong Christian leadership in our military that would say, no, mm -hmm. we're not going there. Well, this distinction that we're talking about between the, the secular and the sacred that the role of the Christian is just spiritual things, but nothing outside of that. We know that doesn't come from God. Right. I mean, we've seen his word doesn't support oh, that. Who not. came up with this? <laughs> Our enemies are the right. ones that largely have created this artificial wedge. Now, here's a quote from, allegedly from Adolf Hitler. I found this in uh, Chuck Colson's book, Kingdoms in Conflict. And it has to do with Pastor Niemöller, who was another one of the pastors that was standing up against Hitler. And Hitler is alleged to have said to Pastor Niemöller, I quote, I will protect the German people. You take care of the, you take care of the church. This is what we're fighting against right. in our conversation. That's right. Continuing with the quote, you pastors should worry about getting people to heaven and leave this world to me, close quote. And we know how that story ended. Right. And, and what happened, uh, you know, the churches didn't stand up. They didn't roll back on this. People didn't. And, and, and look what happened. Uh, In fact, there's old footage, black and white footage of some churches actually having a Nazi flag, you know, right there on the platform in the church. This, this fellow that we talked about earlier at Second Baptist, he was, his family was in Germany is uh, mm -hmm. and from Germany and he said Germany at the time was a very Christian country that's where the Protestant Reformation that's right they came were a very from. Christian community or, or country and yet they allowed this to happen yes and we know the results of that yeah and it was Hitler that was pushing this wedge now here's a one of my favorite Ann Coulter <laughs> quotes and again, am I endorsing everything Ann Coulter has ever said or did? No, but I like this quote. She says, quote, first, they claim there is no place for religion in the public square. And then they, they expand the public square to include everything. And that's, 
it's it's subtle in terms of language where they say, and you watched Obama when he was in office, did this frequently. He would call the First Amendment, the right that we're exercising right now, mm-hmm. freedom of worship. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, no. uh, the First Amendment, you have the Constitution right there. It doesn't say freedom of worship. It says freedom of religion. And by that subtle change of language, basically what they were saying is, oh, you can do whatever you want in the four walls of your church. But the truth of the matter is freedom of religion is a protection that follows you into the marketplace of ideas, into the workplace, into the secular world, into the home. In other words, you're protected as an American based on your religious conscience, no matter where you are, in a church or out of a church. And so, folks, every time you hear the expression freedom of worship from a political figure, you need to push back against that and call it freedom of religion. Right. And there is a... <clears throat> there is a big excuse me, there is a big pushback today on silencing that voice uh, because because they don't want that voice out in the public square and and that's what we can't allow to happen. We have to be in the public square and we have to be out there uh, energized to make a difference in what's going on. That's what God expects us all to do mm-hmm. I think that's that's where I come from yeah and and as a pastor, you know my priority is the gospel. And if my priority is the gospel, then my priority automatically becomes government because I want to make sure that I can legally proclaim the gospel. And the realm that decides whether I can do that or not is the state. So every pastor should have an automatic interest in government just based on what I just said. They should. They should. And just another example of what happened in the Texas legislature, and I don't remember... It was before I got there, maybe two or three sessions before I got there. But now in the House and Senate, the other words are in God we trust. They're in the in the in the two uh, bodies. And so <clears throat> that's that's great. But, uh, you know, my my deskmate of eight years uh, from Houston, a strong Christian man, and he and I were in the right place to make a difference. And. But that was something that we were we were happy to see that mm-hmm. was there, right? And God we trust. It's in the it's in the legislature, the Texas legislature. Mm-hmm. So it's just up to us Christians when we get issues that we don't that aren't following that perspective of uh, of the biblical worldview that we have to stand up and say no. Right. We can't let those things happen, be it marijuana or drugs or the border or all the issues. Uh, homosexuality, mm-hmm. um, abortion, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, there are just so many issues that, that we need to stand up and, and be uh, mm-hmm. accounted for. Yeah, because really these aren't political issues. These are Bible issues. They're biblical issues, yeah. right. All right, let's get to our last S here as time is kind of winding down. <coughs> excuse me. And it has to do with sacrifice, meaning the, the, the assignment of passing down the concept of freedom uh, to our kin, to our lineage. That's not something that just automatically happens. Yeah. That requires work, effort, and sacrifice. It's like a, your garden or your lawn at home. If you just <clears throat> leave it alone, weeds are going to get the upper hand. You've got to take active effort to uproot the, the weeds. Now, why don't we see that with government? 
I mean, we have to be vigilant. We have to be on top of this. We have to make sure it's moving in the right direction as long as we have the ability, uh, freedom-wise, to do it. And so who, who, where do we ever get the idea that this responsibility that we have um, is simple? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that. But I, I will say that um, every time I had the opportunity to encourage people, uh, especially Christians, but and anyone, to show up, um, I would get calls from uh, people about the city of Sugarland. Do you know what they're thinking about doing and the city council? And I said, well, have you been to a city council meeting? Have you have you participated? <laughs> because you can, right? And when it comes time to tax issues or any other important thing that they're thinking about doing, there's an opportunity for you as, uh, to speak and to, and to say, hey, you object to this. And I'll, I'll give a, an example. Um, I believe it was a tax issue, and one of the members here, or people, Bruce Bond, Bruce and I said, Bruce, do you... Go and testify and tell him what you think. And by gosh, he did. He stood up. Because I, I would go most to most of their meetings. <clears throat> and I remember the first time I started going to the city of Sugarland Council meetings, they said, why are you here? Mm. <clears throat> I said, well, because I represent you, one thing. And because <laughs> people come to me and ask me, what the heck are you guys doing? And so, but Bruce did that. He stood up and he spoke up, and by gosh, he made a difference in their decision and what they mm -hmm. were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what people need to do. Um, the the government that that impacts the people the most is the local government, the city government, the county government, and the school districts. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, mm -hmm. you know what I did in Austin impacted the people in my district, but but across the state. But the, the local governance is the one where we need more people participating. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, in our school board meetings, things that are happening in our school system oh, wow. today are, are just um, insane. Yeah. insane. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and thank God we have people like the new governor of Virginia yes. who took that on and got rallied the parents because who should who should control the, their children's education but the parents? Yeah. And so... <clears throat> so I think I think that's building. I think that crescendo is happening mm -hmm. uh, with more people saying, "You bet." That's that's what we need to be doing. So, but that's that's my view, and and I would encourage people just to do that. I don't want to be the only one at the city council meeting. Right. right? So, well, I recall walking out of this church um, after one of the services, and I typically see you. And this, I can't remember the exact election cycle this was but it was like a really strong conservative victory and um, I can't remember if it was a midterm or what it was but I said to you you know what do you think you know expecting this kind of glowing answer from you and you just simply said well Texas showed up right we showed up right and that's that's <clears throat> half the battle it is you just show up you you have to show up, and then you got to stand up, and then you got to speak up. There you and, go. And that's what I'm encouraging everybody today um, to do that. Well, Ronald Reagan, let's close with a couple of his quotes. Uh, yeah, that's okay. He says here, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. He made this statement in 1961. Right. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. <clears throat> It must be fought for and protected and handed on for them to do the same 
or one day, this is, he used such powerful word pictures, one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States of America where men were free. Right. He, he, 1961, I feel like he's talking about right now. He is. He's talking about right now. And, you know, if we look back in the, in the recent history of our country, he, uh, he followed a guy named Carter. And I lived through that in the military. Uh, and, and, of course, I was during this time. And um, so it, it, he made a difference. And I, I think God does enable or give us the right person at the right time um, in the in these cases, and so um, I have the faith that, that God is going to do that again. Well, let's pray to that effect. And here's another quote from Reagan and his famous "A Time for Choosing Speech," 1964. And he says, "Quote: Not long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee." A businessman who had escaped from Castro and in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are? I had some place to escape too. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape too. Right. This is the last stand on earth, close quote. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Yes, I do agree with that. And that, so it goes back to us wanting to preserve what we were given uh, from the founders. And, and uh, if we're not willing to do that, you know, I think I've, I've watched this over the, my years in the political arena is that if unless something um, impacts uh, them people, personally, Personally, yeah. they don't care or they, they don't seem to care about it. That's not the time we're in right now. OK, it, uh, things are impacting everybody right now. But but this is where we have to take the initiative as Christians to stand up and uh, and participate either in running for office and being that person that that can carry the mail or in supporting people, going to people and say, hey, Rick, why don't you do this? And that's what happened to me. People came to me and said, hey, look. We know who you are. We know what you've done. It's time for you to. It's time for you to do this. Mm. And so that that's what helped me uh, to do that. And a lot of people would say, "Well, that's an unChristian way of life." But let's look at the Bible. I just made a list of people that were involved in the political process in the Bible. Here's a short list: Joseph in Egypt, mm -hmm. Moses in Egypt. Uh, have people not read the book of Daniel? <laughs> Daniel in right. Babylon and right. Persia. What about Esther in the Persian Mordecai time period? And right. Mordecai and Esther. What about Nehemiah? We could add to this list uh, many different names, but it just seems to me to be logical and natural and uh, a normal place for God's people to be, which is in the political process being that preservative influence. Until Jesus comes back one day and sets up his kingdom. That's right. We can't be afraid. We can't be afraid to participate. Um, God will protect us. God will take care of us. If God wants us to do this, he will enable it to happen. That's why I believe that. And, and, uh, and I trust that. And so we just can't be afraid to do this. Um, Have you seen, as you've stepped out in faith to serve in this way, 
divine protection in your life in different ways? Uh, in different ways. Um, in, in different ways, for sure. Um, I mean, yes. Uh, now, if I go back a few years ago, uh, this wokeness was beginning to happen in our political system, in our conservative Republican system, mm -hmm. and uh, identity politics. And so... Um, that's why I'm not in office anymore, maybe, but mm -hmm. uh, because somebody said that uh, maybe Rick is too old and maybe he doesn't look right. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Holy cow. Meaning the wrong racial composition, the wrong, the wrong skin racial, color. That's right. And and that came from a very high office. And so. And that came from someone that would be considered a conservative by most people's understanding. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so, so wokeness is something <clears throat> that kind of pervades across the political it, spectrum. It, it, it goes across the political landscape. And, and that was one of the things uh, when I first got involved in the political process as a Christian that we didn't, we didn't accept that. It, it wasn't part of who we were. And, and yet now we have allowed that to come in. And so we have to rise up and say, that's not acceptable. I don't care who you are. It's just not the way we want this to happen. And so... So anyway, that's but that's that's been going on now mm -hmm. for a few years, mm -hmm. and uh, in both in both sides. Mm -hmm. So, well, I think uh, uh, we've had a great conversation today um, on the eve of a historic midterm, mm -hmm. just causing people to maybe um, think a little deep more deeply about what role you know they would play in this pivotal time in our. History, I would suggest three things as a bare minimum. Number one, read. Mm -hmm. Read books like this. Right. There's a lot of wonderful ones right. out there. Right. Get up to speed on what, the way God thinks about, uh, I co well, political things, but they're really biblical things. Right. Um, number two, register. The, there's absolutely no excuse for anybody that names the name of Christ not to have registered to vote. You were reaching for something. I was, yes, I was going to show you the, uh, the differences in the party platforms mm -hmm. from a bi biblical voter perspective. And, and I think that's one thing that I would encourage people to do, no matter who you are, is look at the party platforms from a biblical perspective, and it's clear... Um, where we should vote. Yeah, on these different issues. And, and what you did yesterday with uh, Dr. Tig was uh, was wonderful in in vetting him as a candidate. Well, do you? Well, how do you feel about this? And how do you feel about this? Mm -hmm. And and I think that should happen across the board, if possible. Uh, there are surveys out there that do that uh, if people respond. Mm -hmm. But what do the what do the ver what do the two main political parties stand for? Yeah. And from a biblical perspective, there's no comparison. And this has got it categorized on the basis of life, right. uh, marriage and family right. as the building block of society, That's education, right. Second Amendment, support for Israel, uh, climate change, religious freedom. And so a document like this has their stated state of views. And right. so we have to scrutinize parties. And then when... You, Someone you like gets in there, you make sure that they're held accountable to what they say they're going to do That's according right. to their party. And, uh, of course, if someone else gets in that 
doesn't have this view, there's nothing to hold them accountable to. Right. So, and look at different candidates and where they stand. Um, we, we're, we don't insult people by telling them who to vote for. We just try to equip them with biblical truth. And right. we, we feel that God has given people minds. And there's a lot more up here than we give people credit for. And be discerners in these last Discernment, days. Discernment, wisdom, knowledge, all that. That's in, you read Proverbs, right? Yes. And I remember one time I, I proposed this to a pastor. I said, look, just put the two platforms up. Don't label them what they are. Just put the platforms up and say, from a biblical perspective, where do we, where do we fit mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. Christians? Mm -hmm. And uh, just show that to your to your mm -hmm. congregation. So we've got read, we've got register, and then the last thing, obviously, is to vote. And I've come across some really troubling statistics that half of those who name the name of Christ are registered. Mm -hmm. Of that number, only half of that number actually shows up that's right. As consistent voters. Now, right. now think think of how different this country would be. Think of the initial quote by Finney right. that we gave. Right. If everyone that's a biblicist was registered right. and then they actually voted right. and they didn't vote on what their parents believed or, gee, I've got to get this guy in so my office can get a big government contract or what right. tax bracket am I going to be in? They, they put all that aside and they just went to God's word and they voted based on this book. Could you imagine how different this country would be? Oh, it'd be fantastic. It'd be great because, you know, it's a kind of maybe a trite expression, but elections do matter. And this one coming up <laughs> is pretty important. Pretty. So you know, I heard you say yesterday, maybe the most important. Well, they say that every cycle. Right. Uh, this is the most important one ever. This time I actually think it is. Well, because we can stop. But to some degree, what's happening in 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 our federal government, and and so it it matters. It matters, yeah. and like you said, if <clears throat> if if the Christians were registered and they actually voted and showed up to vote, based on what they believed and the candidates, they vet the candidates. Uh, there are far far too many people, and probably on both sides of the aisle, that if you got an R behind your name, I'm going to vote R. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. But if you if you got a D behind your name, I'm going to vote D, and um, that's you know that's not what what really we need to have mm -hmm. happen. We need we need informed, educated voters who are willing to stand for what they believe. Yeah, Bibli biblicism, biblical, biblicism. Right, right. So I think we're going to wrap it up at that at, with that. Um, I just want to remind people here in Texas, early voting starts the 24th Monday. And we'll move into the fourth, uh, twenty fourth through the fourth, right. and then the main election. The general, I mean, the main election is um, we're not the main one, but the election Thanks day. I'd like to have you back some other time and talk about: Do we need an election day or an election week? We need election day. Uh, that's what I think too. <laughs> but we can get to that. It used to be that way. <laughs> that's uh, right? you know. I mean, we, and, and people complain uh, on one particular side that we're not we were we're trying to suppress the voting when actually we're enabled more voting to occur and and uh, look what's happening in Georgia today I heard that there are more people showing up early to vote than ever before mm -hmm. and yet the what's coming out of some critical top offices is we are suppressing the vote in Georgia 
No, we're not. Yeah. No, they're not. Well, we can have a great conversation about that <laughs> some other time and many other subjects. Right. But for now, we just want to get people to think in general terms, yes. biblically. And we want Christians, you know, to be involved in the process. So, Rick... Miller, one of the greats, in my opinion. Oh, thank you. Um, thanks for joining us, and thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for allowing me to be here, Andy. Very I, good. I really appreciate that. Very Enjoy good. It. Thank you, sir. Very good. God thank bless you. you, and we'll see you next time on Pastor's Point of View. Bye.